to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, this week we will be diving into Electroclash. Uh-huh. Um, I actually put on uh, some... Well, the music some side cameras. of the episode, not the news side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah just electric is clashing. Yeah. <laughs> it's the AC versus the DC all over again. Uh-huh. Yeah, who knew that the current war has come to 2024? I mean, really, it's just a, a dance rock, punk, highly distorted fusion style that was popular in the mid-2000s. But what about the music genre? That's what, yes. <laughs> yes. We're not talking about the battle of, of yes. electrical currents. Uh, there, there's a, a lot of the bands are from Montreal. Uh, I mean, in the genre in total, there's a lot of bands from Montreal, a lot from Belgium, a lot specifically from Ile de Remy in France. I don't know what's happening in that little island, but it's kind of like um, Hamilton, Ontario has a weirdly large number of bands that, that start there, and Halifax yeah. as well. Halifax is, is has the lion's share of, of Canadian independent artists, and it's just... I mean, with all due respect to Halifax, it's a bit of a small town in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things, mm-hmm. and they just keep pumping out artists. So I don't know. Sure. I don't know what's happening in in uh, Ile de Remy, but yeah, there's. Anyway, speaking of pumping them out, I we have been watching. I don't know what you're laughing about. That, uh-huh. There is there is a totally innocuous statement to make. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, speaking of pumping them out, I was we were watching uh, RuPaul's Drag Race Canada. Okay. Recent. We're not going to do spoilers on on who won, uh, but the Drag Race Denim is the first drag uh, queen to be on one of the RuPaul's franchises Okay, from Prince Edward Island. Oh! Yeah! So it's inspired uh, a few folks down in PEI to, to maybe get involved and, and, you know, engage and aim for large national uh, audiences. Like I said, we're not going to comment on who won. We don't want to spoiler it for anybody. I don't even know. You don't even know. No. However, what I will say is uh, it was a great series. Um, definitely worth watching. Ottawa, mm-hmm. and this is why you reminded me of it, talking about Halifax sort of outperforming for its size. Yes. Ottawa knows how to deliver a drag look. Okay. Like the level of costuming mm-hmm. and hair that comes out of Ottawa is like Eurovision on the daily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that level of like high caliber performance. There's it's no int- arts and craft in Ottawa drag. It's interesting how different communities do different things. Because like when I, uh, most of the drag shows that I saw was when I lived in Hamilton. And the queens there aren't really focused on the look. At least not when I was living there. A lot of them were more focused on working the crowd. Mm. So in terms of someone who can interact with the audience, make humor, draw people in, make a running joke, people who, you know, anyone who's frequent in the community, people who most people know, they'll they'll sort of draw them in, make sort of a local politic out of it. Which, if you know Hamilton, that's a very yeah. Hamilton thing yeah. to do. Um Toronto, when I saw it, was a lot more about music and performance, and the few acts... So much lip-syncing. A lot of so lip-syncing, much lip-syncing, but also yeah. a lot of very good dancing. Most of the queens in Toronto mm. have background in dance. Yeah. And then the few queens that I've seen in Montreal, most of them are really just stand-up comics and drag. It's very avant-garde in Montreal. Yeah. Montreal drag, for me, comes across as very avant-garde. Yeah. We've got... Um, but um, under the leadership of Mado, there is that yeah. that emphasis on stand-up, on being mm. funny. 
And mm-hmm. some of them will lip sync. There are a few who do not lip sync at all. They just wear drag and work the crowd. There yeah. are so many different styles of drag. Yeah. I do, my longest running bugbear about RuPaul's Drag Race is the homogenization of drag as an art form. Yes. Especially around lip syncing. I mean, we see this occasionally yeah. where certain drag queens are like, I've never lip synced, never will. It's not what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that mean I don't do drag because I can't mime to a song? There are so many drag queens who actually sing. Yeah. They yeah. compose and they, they perform music. There was, uh, oh, what was it? What was it? Not Chris. Uh, not Chris Edwards. There, there's a famous Canadian drag queen who actually did um, female impersonation and could like impersonate the mm. singing and speaking voice of like Bette Midler and, and um, Mae West Mae West and a, a whole raft of it was Mae West was the one they were most famous for who was it? I, I think I recall who you're thinking of I know they're you're going to have to google it now yeah they're in a movie called Outrageous uh, well so you google it one of the things that stands out to me is just I think that there is, we, we, we're familiar with the idea of the house of, you know, couture or yeah, the house yeah. of wherever. And some of the names are ridiculous. Craig Russell. Craig Russell. It was Craig okay. Russell, one of the best female impersonators of all time. Okay. Absolutely hilarious. But anyway. But give me a good pun-based drag name any day of the week. Or even like Day Medna, who was so wholesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, not always, but... 90% of the time, yeah. so wholesome. I love the comedy of a drag queen where it's, you know, for our audience, the best example I can give of this particular comedy is Robin Williams in um, Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire? Doubtfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where it's that double entendre, it's that tongue in cheek, oh, where yes. it's like you can, he's saying one thing, but, you know, an adult audience knows the other thing, uh-huh. whereas the younger audience is like, what? You know, that's, that's, that's beautiful. And I think drag performance do that really well. Like, the two drag names I heard recently, Neera Nuff, mm-hmm. uh, out of Edmonton, fantastic drag queen. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one that came on one of the recent series, Mandy Tory Meeting. Okay. <laughs> that is, oh, oh, I just, I love a good drag name. I love a good drag name. All right. Um, I forget where we started off with this, but yes. Uh, Denim has really inspired folks out of Prince Edward Island. Uh, great to see that happening. Now, we're going to jump to uh, our first Canadian song of the day. Now, we do have quite a few... Um, sorry, first Canadian news of the day. We have mm-hmm. a few songs lined up for later. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about... Because uh, we do talk about reports of... Last week, we talked about how the Supreme Court of Canada has alleged that grooming, uh, when written down, where there's zero basis in fact, where there's, you know, it is uh, Mm. defamation. You can't just accuse people of grooming because these allegations are so fundamentally serious. Yes. Well, up in BC, um, specifically, we're talking about North Peace Pride. One of their board members was recently arrested on multiple charges. Uh, he has been arrested for uh, touching a person under 16 for sexual purposes, interference with the person under 16, mm-hmm. possession of child pornography, importing and distributing child pornography, according to the BC Prosecution Service. Now, Northern Pride, uh, Northern Peace Pride Society, but they did release a bit of a statement uh, after this. Now, 
everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. We're not saying whether or not he did this. Mm-hmm. But North Peace Pride Society, uh, almost immediately after finding out, they released this statement on January the 5th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've only just caught up with that. Uh, and it says, quote, On December 31st, 2020, one of our board members was arrested and is facing severe charges inconsistent with the North Peace Pride Society's mission and code of conduct. In response to the gravity of the charges, we have immediately removed this person from our board, emphasised our commitment to community values. Um, They go on to say that essentially they've advised their partners of the next steps. Uh, The society itself has not been implicated. Mm -hmm. And they also include, while some board members work directly with youth through library programmes, this person was not among them. All board members involved with youth programs have undergone criminal record checks. Moving forward, we remain dedicated to community safety. Uh, They're introducing measures such as having all board members conduct record checks to the highest standard. Now, it's commonplace for nonprofits that work with youth, Mm -hmm. um, vulnerable adults as Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. to have a vulnerable sector check, which Mm -hmm. is a bit deeper. It's a bit of a broader you know, background check. I mean, when I volunteered, when I sat on the uh, board of directors for Ottawa Capital Pride, I had to have a security check done. And I didn't even... And it was just in case I interact with a volunteer and there's nobody else in the room, which never actually happened. But we did it for just in case. Mm-hmm. And a lot of not-for-profit and volunteer and charity and, and public um, organizations will do something similar if there are volunteers who could potentially be under the age of 18, it's it's common practice. Hopefully it's universal practice, I should hope. It's not that much, you just, I think it's like 20 bucks and you fill in some paperwork and then you just send it off to the local police and then they just send a letter to whomever the 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 head of the the you know the board of directors or the the uh, ED and they basically say like, yeah, they're, they're clean. And it's, yeah. it's an easy process, it's not that hard. And um, it should be, it should be universal. It's not universal, but it probably should be. And a lot of the organizations that do have do step on the toes of negative public perception, get ahead of the curve, and they do yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. Pride yeah. organizations have been accused of... Gay folks are accused of this far more than it is true. Yeah. We are highlighting a case here where it is true. Yes. You know, where, you know, it's not like it never happens. It evidently does. And it's also worth mentioning that uh, when they did studies on this, it turns out to be just at proportion with general yeah, society. Consistent, so whatever yeah. percentage you expect heterosexuals, yeah. but it, it it makes bigger headlines, unfortunately, when, when sure. the gays do it. But uh, Fort St. John mm-hmm. in Northern Beast. Yeah, but they, they got ahead of it. They were like, yeah, no, this is so unbelievably inconsistent, mm-hmm. as it obviously is. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been arrested, uh, facing charges. Nothing has been tested or proven in court. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's worth saying that he was board president since 2018. Um, he has then been removed, mm-hmm. obviously, very swiftly by the board. Is it enough to sort of scrub him off the website? Let your partners know? Like, is that sufficient? <laughs> well, you got to be careful because if it turns out to be completely and totally groundless, mm-hmm. not just groundless, because groundless in the legal sense, it could either mean um, there's circumstantial evidence but they can't conclusively prove something to the high degree of the law but there's there's hints and then there's just like no we can prove that they did nothing 
you do not want to ruin somebody's life based on an allegation alone. Absolutely. So having that sort of hesitant, we're just going to put a giant bracket around this for now. Yeah. Um, he is not on the premises. He's not involved in anything. He is off the books for now. And But don't do it in a way so that if it turns out to be completely groundless, you're not going to ruin the guy's life. And there is a road to redemption if it turns out that it's it's smoke. Yeah. We're not going to name him because, as I say, obviously nothing has been proven in court. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's worth noting that all of these pride organizations, so many of them work with young queer folks mm -hmm. who are discovering their sexuality. Yeah. And it's so important to be so careful. Fundamentally, anyone who is being put in a position of authority with folks who are vulnerable or below the age of consent in particular, mm -hmm. um, then they absolutely need to be background checked. There's also other things you can do. Uh, many charities have a practice of having more than one adult in the room. Yeah. So if there's ever youth programming, you need two adults. And it's just so many ways of proactively mm -hmm. creating spaces that are welcoming and safer than what they would be without those policies. Yeah. You know, it's it's very doable. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunate story uh, to hear about from North Peace uh, Pride and uh, obviously their, their chairman, uh, sorry, their former board president. We will keep an eye on that story and others as they develop. Now, the song that inspired the musical genre for today is uh, Skin and Leather by The Hidden Cameras, and we will be back just after
to Cancri, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Licksmith. And I'm Sebastian. And we were just listening to uh, Crystal Castles, Kerosene. Yes. Before that, Hidden Cameras, Skin and Leather. But you chose Crystal Castles. I think you heard it on the show. I forget the name of it. <laughs> it was Bob's Skin... Burgers, maybe? No, or... no. Bob... Actually, Bob's Burgers also had some pretty good music on it. Uh, no, um, it's really weird the the way that every so often you have a TV show that just plays something in the background and you just whip out your phone and shazam it. Uh, and that was Skins because mm. uh, Skins UK, as much as now when I think back at it, I'm, I'm like, I can't believe that show was made for teenagers. That was like... It was, it pushed the boundaries. It pushed the boundary for adults. It pushed every boundary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But really good music. And uh, there's a bunch of Canadian bands that I discovered through that because for some reason Canadian media only plays Canadian music that only five people like. Mm-hmm. If there's a band out there that the whole world likes, then yeah, they just sort of shrug it off and play, I don't know, something else. Yeah, Celine Dion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. All right, well, we're going to be jumping to our next story. Right. Uh, for folks who are fans of the gay games, which are just sporting games, volleyball, soccer, fencing. It's like, what if the Olympics had less politics in it? And more homosexuals. Not necessarily, actually. There was, there, was, there was one year. No, I mean you laugh, but there was. I think ten years ago. No, it was. It was the last Olympics had the most openly queer athletes ever competing. But no, there, there was a, a gay games about ten years ago or something because we've been on the radio for quite some time, and there was one where they reported that actually for the first time in its history there were more non LGBT people in the gay yeah. games. Yeah, and it was just for various political reasons they weren't allowed to compete in their own home country's olympics so they just went yeah. to that instead mm-hmm. so really it's more like the olympics that but open and i don't know let fewer things like i don't know if you're if you're a ethnic minority in a country that doesn't like their local ethnic minorities uh i mean i could list some countries but i don't want to i don't yeah. want to put any targets yeah. on anyone um then yeah you can you can just go to the gay games instead so there was a, an olympic that was mostly straight are you familiar mm-hmm. with the Riddle Speedos? 
The Rito Speedos, yes. So in Ottawa, there is a swim team called mm-hmm. the Rito Speedos, mm-hmm. named after, I assume, the Rito Mall or the Rito Street or just... Well, the mall and the street are named after... Mr. Rito. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously. Also the Rito River, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, we all... Which is named after Mr. Rito, I of assume. Of course, yes. There's probably... Bob Rito. Bob Rito. <laughs> Uh, although it sounds French, maybe Jacques Rideau. I'll go with the Jacques Rideau. Rideau is the word for curtains as okay. well. Okay, well, you know, uh, pull yourself together. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the Rideau Speedos had a podium finish okay. at the Gay Games in Guatemala, Guatemala. Guadalajara. Guadalajara in uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, very exciting. We reached out to them. Unfortunately, we weren't able to make an interview happen. Although, congratulations to them and everyone on the team for doing so well. But I wanted to bring up the Rideau Speedos because there are a few sort of sporty teams mm-hmm. across Ottawa. The Ottawa Wolves that does rugby the Rito Speedos does the does the swimming. swimming. I think there's a gay soccer team somewhere. There's a running group. Ooh. Yep. Actually, hot goss. The <laughs> the Toronto running, uh, the Toronto running um, club. Okay. Uh, is generating all kinds of uh, disgruntlement. Oh. Because it's very popular. Okay. And I don't know if you've ever been on a street. When, like, a hundred people come running at you. Okay. Um, but it's quite concerning. And it takes up a lot of sidewalk space. So there's a debate as to whether or not this massive, like, herd of runners mm-hmm. should be on the road, should be on the sidewalk. They're, like, barreling people out of the way. <laughs> like, I mean, why don't they just split quite the groups? A, quite a menace, apparently, is Like, these, they should uh, just have, like, you runners. know, the, the Bay Street chapter, the Beaches chapter, the... Yeah, yeah. The, don't the, concentrate the, all hundred the, people. It's going to look... It's going to be like uh, somebody... <laughs> You know, somebody yelled uh, fire in the theater. And it's just like, if I came out of a, if I came out of a door and saw a hundred people running away, I mean, I'd close the door and go back in. But, you know, it can cause panic. Like those um, Japanese pranks where somebody's just walking down the street and then like a thousand people come running towards them screaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they just turn around and run. Every so often you have that one person who just doesn't care. They're just late for work and they're like, excuse me. And then they just like push through the crowd. But yeah, there's... Mm. I heard a great story about a beagle last week that did a half marathon. Like the dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was let loose in its front yard, saw a whole bunch of people running by, joined in, placed first in the species. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, did a, did a time better than most of the humans. Okay. <laughs> just, just joined in. Okay. Just went for a run. Anyway, the uh, Toronto uh, City Running Group is causing... Uh, some headaches as they start to dominate certain streets. Just split into groups. Split into smaller groups. Yeah. Get out of the way. Absolutely. Um, but that brings me back. The whole point I'm talking about Rito Speedos and the Wolves is these groups and teams are very approachable, uh-huh. generally speaking. They're yeah. all levels of skill. Mm-hmm. And the kinds of folks that are in there are not your Olympic from birth training just to swim in, you know, a competition, it's people who want to get out, want to get involved, yeah. want to create relationships with queer folks that are not based on sex or alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, having actual friends, doing a hobby you like. Mm-hmm. This might seem crazy to gay folks, but that is a thing that, that, that people do. 
I remember 20 years ago, there was a massive news story about the World of Warcraft Gay Guild. Mm. And after six months of it being around, it was about 75% straight. And it was just... <laughs> It was just people who wanted to play the game and not be called slurs all the time. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of these groups are really just focused on getting along and having a good time. Creating welcoming environments. Yeah. Well, that's what can be expected with the gay games. Now, Edmonton and Vancouver have both been put on the long list. They're trying to uh, get a sense of what else might be needed mm. to be able to host it. But they have stiff competition. Right. They should just do it in Réunion and make everyone suffer. In where, sorry? Réunion? Yeah. It's, an, it's a remote island in the middle of the Pacific. Okay, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And you have to swim to it. And whoever gets, <laughs> whoever gets there wins the games. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a survival. I like the idea, though, of it being in Canada because every host country gets to introduce one game that they do just that one time just to sort of show off. And I love the idea because everybody knows about... All the sports that were invented in Canada. So uh, uh, hockey and basketball were invented in Montreal. Of course, lacrosse is one of our national sports. And I love the idea of having like an Olympic level Crocono. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. It is potential that Canada might do well. Taipei got shortlisted last time as well as San Diego and Auckland. Mm-hmm. So they might actually just cinch the win. Uh, but we will see. Will, will if, they keep dodgeball from the last This row, is though? true. Yeah. If the gay games come to Canada, will we go? If it's local, and actually if they introduce roller I mean, derby. Edmonton and Vancouver. Oh, so, fair enough. You know, okay. it's like, well, you then know. I don't know. Possibly not. But I really hope. Actually, jokes about Crokinole aside, um, roller derbies are definitely a thing that are huge in Canada. And I would love to see an international level game of of uh, uh, sturdy lesbians on roller skates knocking each other over. Um, not only that, but it, it is sort of the roller derby is to sports what pro wrestling is to combat sports. So when you're watching a roller derby, really you're there for the nacho and beers. And uh, the, the, the fun roller derby is just something to... To cheer at exactly i would love I, to go to an olympic level go, roller derby we should go to some roller derby we should games. go to a roller derby exactly just as spectators yes it's yes. a great spectator sport yes just angry lesbians on rollerblades what with, more with, do you need with thick thighs who are impossible to knock over exactly yeah like tanks motorized yes. tanks yes they are the i'm gonna stop that and they would be oh. flattered this is not insulting no, no they're no. like that's why we're here they're like yes 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 <laughs> all right um i want to move on to barry manilow and bet midler Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, in a recent news uh, interview that Barry Manilow did with The Hollywood Reporter, Mm -hmm. I think the print edition that's out now, uh, spoke a lot about, uh, obviously, his life and so on, but talked about how in 1971, he was hired by Bette Midler, Mm -hmm. the incredible Bette Midler, Mm -hmm. to to be the musical director for her stage show at the Continental Baths. Mm -hmm. Now... How do we break down <laughs> this, <laughs> this piece of queer history? Uh-huh. So for a very long time, homosexuality was uh, illegal in many places, including North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, gay men and men that have sex with men didn't have that many locations to be able to gather. Mm-hmm. And bathhouses tended to fill that space. Yes. 
they served as a location where they could be cruising. Mm. Many of them were outfitted for the purpose of what comes after cruising. A lot of it comes from the fact that bathhouses, spas, and other sort of like relax not relaxing, but you know, like a like spa type places. Um, were one of the few places where it was legal to have uh, sex-based segregation. So you could have like a men's bathhouse and a women's bathhouse. Mm-hmm. So if you had a men's only bathhouse, then you could do a lot of more men's only things without the public in general noticing. If a straight man went in there, they'd be like, oh, ho, 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 I'm in the wrong place. And they, yeah, they yeah, may yeah. leave. And because it's not an integrated setting, you're not likely to get uh, children and underage people coming Absolutely in. Not. So you can actually no. do yeah, a lot yeah, more. Yeah. And having a, a bit more of a diverse environment. So you have you know, your your quote-unquote spa in the back. You have some yeah. quote-unquote rooms to let upstairs in just case be, you have a little nap. Just be abundantly clear. This is not Nordic sauna. This is not, you know, Japanese saunas. It, it is... They have the facilities in case they get inspected, but nobody... Well, I mean, I don't know. It depends on what era of history you're looking at, how used they were. But, but Western bathhouses are, you know, a breed of their own. Obviously. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of them also had... A bar, a small mm-hmm. restaurant, a stage where they would have live performers. They were pretty elaborate places. And New York and San Francisco are the mo- more famous ones. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they, they were kind of sprinkled out across the continent. Pretty much every major city has had bathhouses. Yes. And many of the major cities continue to have bathhouses. Yes. So I believe Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal all mm-hmm. have bathhouses mm-hmm. in operation. Uh, I don't recall if Ottawa still has one. I don't know. I know, I know that, they had one for a little while. I know Ottawa has three heterosexual sex clubs. But maybe not a bathhouse. Yeah. You know, not, I, not a gay one, yeah. And it, it's interesting, if you're talking about the stage part, uh, Bette Midler got her start working in bathhouses, mm-hmm. as, as did Tori Amos. And there's a few other people, but I can't quite remember who, who did get started. Usually it's just because it's cheaper to get, like, single performers in. One yeah. person in a piano, one person in a guitar. So... You know, if you're an acoustic performer who sits there and you, you know, duct tape a, a tambourine onto your right foot and then you tap your foot while you play the guitar, that's the kind of person who would typically end up playing in a bathhouse. So, Ben Midler and Barry Manilow were talking, or Barry Manilow was talking about this and kind yep. of the, the, the cultural moment that happened. I think Elton John has performed in a bathhouse. Probably, yeah. You know, but what I wanted to talk about, obviously this is an interesting history left, 1970s, Barry Manilow, yeah. Bette Midler, performing in a space where there are men wearing just a towel. Mm-hmm. There are men who were not wearing a towel. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the space that you were in. And I think that queer culture now is missing that. That's where I kind of want to circle around on this mm-hmm. story. Where is the bathhouse entertainment of 2024. And what I mean by that is a space that is, you know, relaxing, mm-hmm. low-key, very, very queer-coded. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're not going to have an accidental audience in a bathhouse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, folks will discover very quickly what what the you know thing is. It's a third space. It's yeah. a space to, to gather. I don't know if we necessarily have that. You know, we have bars and clubs and so on. And Well, so the bathhouse scene kind of got kicked in the ribs by the AIDS epidemic. Yes. Not only because uh, people were afraid to go anymore, but yeah. also a huge portion of their 
audience literally died off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And bars in general, like a lot of the third spaces in Canada are already struggling. So, and it's not just gay bars, not just clubs, but also bowling alleys and billiard halls are mm. struggling on account of the the COVID lockdowns. Some of them have not properly bounced back. Some of them are still struggling. And it really does seem to be uh, these two things in combination. I'm not going to say third spaces have disappeared. Also, a lot of people are just staying home. Yeah. You know, yeah. why why would they go to a bathhouse when they can download a, a mediocre app and see the same 20 people again and again instead True. of going out and meeting somebody in person and, and interacting with somebody as a human being and not as a product on a, a mm-hmm. thing that's laid out exactly like a shopping website. I mean, this is old man Sebastian <laughs> here, obviously. Um, there is this sort of a, a need... I, I, I think until we re-embrace being there in person, mm. I don't think this kind of thing is going to happen. I think, just to expand on why I think there should be more Barry Manilow's in a bathhouse, and that is because there is something about a minority space when they are in the majority. So think of, uh, you know, a club which is predominantly women with a, one particular shared experience mm-hmm. or a space that's dominated by gay men mm-hmm. or a space dominated by lesbian rollerbladers. You know, it changes the dynamic of what happens in that space, the kind of conversations that you can have. I mean, you don't even have to go that far. You could just talk about like a mosque or a synagogue. Exactly, yeah. Congregation of people who are very similar. Yeah. Um, and I think that... Queer culture is and always has been quite avant-garde, quite pushing the boundaries, quite, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. We think about fashion and design, so many gay influences, are, you know, in, in those areas. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to say, but I think bathhouses played a role in carving out a space where experimentation can, can make, you know, can happen, a space where... Tori Amos can, yes. can can play and mm-hmm. Barry Manilow can can sing without necessarily feeling uh, too judged. I mean, probably the weirdest man of the 1980s, like p- the guy who helped create the weird 80s. So mm-hmm. Klaus Nomi. Oh, yes. yeah. A guy so weird that David Bowie said he was jealous of how weird Klaus Nomi was. Like that gives you an impression. He said he got a lot of his, his inspiration by talking to people in bathhouses. Yeah. He was yeah. also the first celebrity to die of HIV, unfortunately. Mm. So, I mean, you're, you're looking at a double-edged blade there. So, I mean, really, safe sex, safer sex, better health care. I mean, that can definitely get into that. Also, I mean, there's a lot of talk about desexualizing a lot of these spaces. So, like you were saying, you know, a lot of people in the front runners. that's the name of the running group in, in Ottawa. Oh, the right? front runners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're joining the front runners or the Rito Speedos or the, 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 the Ottawa Wolves or even just some online, I don't know, gay Minecraft server. Yeah, backgammon or something. You're there for the hobby. You're not there for the sex. And I've, I've heard a lot of people saying, like, they don't mind the fact that a lot of people are there to meet a future partner. Mm-hmm. Or they're open-minded to meet meeting a future yeah, yeah, partner. Yeah. But they're not just there to run through the audience like... I don't know, like tissue Pokemon. papers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're not trying to collect every... <laughs> Everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So... I have the full team. Yay! <laughs> there is this sort of like... There has been a shift where people want something a little bit more profound and connecting. And they're not just there to, to run through people. So and maybe maybe bathhouses is a, a step too far. 
Well, you know, take the model, take what works for it, drop the rest, just like most of history. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the carriage, the horse, eh, we don't need the horse anymore, but let's look at that carriage and see if we can stick a motor in it. You know, mm -hmm. like you, you can... You can extract the good from yeah. the out of date, let's mm -hmm. say. I don't want to necessarily say bad because I wasn't alive in the 60s and 70s, so I, I don't know how it worked quite particularly. But, you know, there was something that worked for them at that time. Let's take what would work for us and, and take that as a model. That's what yeah. I would say. It was an underground, distinctly gay space. Right. And I think it'd be cool to have some more of those towels or no towels shall remain to be seen. But we're going to be jumping now to Boys Wanna Be Her by Peaches, mm -hmm. and we shall be back just after.
And welcome back to Canterbury, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And that was Boys Wanna Be Her by Peaches. And I love Peaches, but she has maybe six songs that are radio friendly. If six is optimistic. And I, yeah. <laughs> she was actually uh, talking about people being jealous of somebody else. A good friend of David Bowie. Uh, David Bowie's jealous of Klaus Nomi for how, he, how weird he was. And Iggy Pop was jealous of Peaches for how hard she was. <laughs> and they worked together as well. So, yeah. The, the, they, they had a weird relationship. But, yeah. So, there is an article in uh, Sex Roles, okay. the Journal of Research. Okay. And it is on gender, masculinity, and the perceptions of vegetarians and vegans. Oh. Now, I don't know what you think the, uh, the, the perception might be, mm-hmm. um, but essentially eating meat has been associated with masculinity, mm-hmm. uh, healthier, smaller meals has been seen being perceived as feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it could potentially not be in our best interest. It is so weird, but there is a weird gender coding when it comes to food that I've tried to talk to people about and some of them are just like, no, that's stupid, you're stupid. And it's not as strong, but it is definitely out there. And I think one of the the one of the more interesting things out there, uh, are you familiar with Pocky? Like the, the stick thing. Chocolate Dip on a biscuit. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You're familiar with men's Pocky. What's men's pocket? So, okay. I, I only know this because I lived in Japan and I learned this the hard way. Um, in Japanese culture, things that are sweet and soft are considered feminine. Okay. And so men don't eat chocolate because it's sweet and soft. So if you have bitter, non-milk chocolate, it's not just dark chocolate, but like no, nothing in there whatsoever to give it a creamy texture. So dark chocolate dipped in raw cocoa so that it's extra bitter. That's wow. considered manly chocolate. So they have men's pockies so that men can also enjoy pocky without looking effeminate by eating like the, the pink one that's dipped in sprinkles. And we also have this when it comes to alcoholic beverages in North America. So wine spritzers are coded as feminine for some reason. Whiskey is coded as masculine for some reason. Gin is kind of neutral. If you go to a bar and you look at who orders gin, it's almost 50-50. Yeah. If you're looking at beer, beer can be coded as masculine, but there are a lot of women who drink beer as well. Usually light beers. And and this is the stereotype. It, it's not actually anything to do with anything real. There's also a thing where um, red meat is considered masculine and then like fish is considered feminine, which is kind of interesting because it's backwards because men need more zinc and copper in their diet and they should be eating more seafood and women need more iron in their diet and they should be eating red meat. The whole thing is backwards. Actually, also, if men eat too much red meat, uh, you can get heavy metal poisoning from the iron. If you eat red meat uh, twice a day every day, yeah. Yeah, my Uh, neighbor does that. It, it, it can add up it, yeah, if yeah. Uh, and not to be crass about it but if you don't bleed every so often like you can't it, it get rid of the iron quickly enough this is true yeah, so yeah, yeah. there is this weird coding that we do with food that it's not strong like you're not going to look at a man who eats fish and be like oh i bet he's light in the loafers like it's no it's more complicated than that well, but there is a weird thing that we do with food that it is gendered this was Across cultures as well. It's not just North America. This wasn't a huge survey. It was about a thousand Polish people representative of 
Poland. Okay. okay. And about 36 qualitative, qualitative participants in, in a follow-up survey. But okay. one of the things that I thought was interesting was that um, if a woman goes into a new relationship and the man has a dietary restriction, vegetarian, for example, yeah. um, less of an issue than if a man enters a new relationship and the woman is vegetarian. Like, men Uh-oh. take more umbrage <laughs> with other people's... <laughs> Um, dietary choices than women do. I've noticed like that. Like that, that perception of the masculinity of the meal. Now, me and Jake watched a couple of food documentaries recently, mm-hmm. my partner Jake, and I have genuinely been thinking like, wow, I need to bring in more meals. Even if, right now, I think we're at one or two a week mm-hmm. where there isn't a meat product in mm-hmm. it. And just sort of like scaling down, you know, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. But, it's interesting that even me and Jake, where we're quite, you know, quote unquote woke and, yes. <laughs> and progressive, and we're a gay couple, but still the idea of a meal without some red meat taking up two thirds of the plate mm-hmm. uh, is a barrier that that needs to be crossed. Like, is a meal like Jake? Jake said to me, and I'm gonna get this on the T-shirt. I've seen him get furious before. He's like, "What is wrong with your plate?" Because I've been in restaurants with him, and it, there there was a broccoli on it, and he was just like, "What? What are you doing with that broccoli?" <laughs> but he said to me once that soup is water with debris, and I'm like, "He's not wrong. It is water with debris." But soup, unless it's got a meat that comes with it, mm. it's not a whole meal. Like, it's, it's bizarre. It oh, really is. He's not is. had a proper good French tomato soup. He hasn't soup. had a good soup. That's what I think it is. But you, you, make, you make your Welsh potato leek soup, and it's really it's good. There's your bacon in it. Oh. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know, you can make it without the bacon, and it's still yeah, good. This is true. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, the idea is, is being a vegetarian or a vegan being perceived as effeminate. I don't think that we're going to deal with our high rates of obesity as uh-huh. a nation, our high rates of cholesterol, our uh, what have you, unless we can start really breaking down our diet. It is so weird. I mean, on the other hand, you know that gladiators, uh, like I'm, I'm a middle-aged man talking about Rome. Just You're keep, talking about the Roman Empire. Keep, it, give me a moment. It took us this long, <laughs> this long to get to the Roman Empire. Yes. Um, gladiators, many of them deliberately packed on body weight because if you got cut or, or stabbed, the body fat was actually a barrier between mm. the knife and your organs. So a lot of them would deliberately put on weight and they would actually do that through a vegetarian diet. So because it's less filling, so you can eat more. So you're packing mm. on more calories without being as full as quickly. So a lot of them would eat a lot of beans and bread. Um, so it is actually possible. The, the, the diet thing, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And there is that weird thing about, I wouldn't say necessarily that, I think most people, they don't necessarily think of vegetarianism or veganism as being effeminate. I think they just view meat as being masculine. As being more masculine. And there's this kind of thing that people do. And again, I've seen this cross-culturally where if it's not masculine, it defaults to feminine. So it's not necessarily that you're effeminate and womanly and you may as well put on the lipstick. It's just that uh, masculine is a tight box. And if you don't fit in that box, then you just default to effeminate, even though it's not particularly effeminate to just get like a a Cobb salad for lunch. Yeah. Would a Cobb salad be... Actually, there, there's ham and cheese and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, bad, bad example of a salad. Well, I mean, but you know what I mean, like lentil soup. Yeah, with with yeah. Uh, with cheese on toast. You know, like that's not 
I don't think that's effeminate. No, no. But until we can start perceiving veganism as not being masculine, uh-huh. you know, I think it's going to take a moment for our psyche to evolve. I think it just needs to become neutral and, and we need to become indifferent to it. I don't think it needs to be... Gendered. You don't think it needs to be gendered? We just need to get over it? Yeah. I, I, that makes sense. Yeah. I say that, and yet again, like, I've seen cross-culturally so that there are... So, our listeners, if you, know, you see, you know, come across a, 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 a vegan in the wild, uh, as it as it were, um, don't think any, like, <laughs> less of them, I suppose. I'm not sure where I'm going with this. But is uh-huh. veganism effeminate? That is really the crux of this interview and uh, this uh, study. And, um, yeah, the evidence, at least from this Polish sample, seems to be that people perceive vegetarian and vegan diets as less masculine okay so we'll see how that translates on the broader sense we're going to be playing out with lesbians on ecstasy ecstasy the it's the name of the band yes um and their song sisters in the struggle uh i have been luke smith and i have been sebastian thank you for listening Six hundred cents.